Good morning. Open up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. A couple things to celebrate today. Pretty exciting. You might smell in the air some food cooking. Um, That's because today we have our very first uh, Taste of the World event right after church. And so good news is, even if you didn't RSVP, we want you to stick around and stay and participate. That just helped us get our mind around how many people to expect for that meal. And so even if you didn't let us know that you were coming, you're invited. We want you to stick around. There's going to be plenty of food. And uh, aren't these shirts cool? Amber did such a good job. Have all the different countries on the back. And I don't know, I thought that was awesome. Uh, other thing, a couple other things to celebrate as you're turning into Romans chapter 3. Pastor Joe is back, which is awesome. He's healing up really, really well. And so he'll still complain about his finger to you as you give him opportunity. But that's pretty cool. And uh, other thing that is just, I am just blown away by God's activity. Um, Scott, as you all know, started FCA last year at Hyatt's, and that is just, that bowl is continuing to roll. And uh, we started last week uh, with 35 students, and then this week with 52 students. And uh, I mean, that is just blowing my mind. Last year, the most we ever had was about 20, and it averaged 12 to 13. And so what the Lord is doing at that middle school is just mind-blowing. But with that, um, it takes a lot more donuts to feed that, that many middle schoolers. And so make sure you're staying tuned in to our different emails and stuff. If you'd like to participate by donating some donuts, many of you have done that already. And if you'd like to participate by coming and leading a devotional, it's about 10 minutes long. Um, it's super easy. We would love to expose more adults from our church to the FCA program and give you the opportunity to teach the Bible there. And so let myself or Scott know if you'd like to do that. All right, Romans chapter 3, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Week 15 of our series in the book of Romans, The Genius of Jesus. We're going to start in verse 21, and the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as an atoning sacrifice in His blood, received through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. And God presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Can I pray for us? God, we love you. Thanks for your word. God, I pray that your word would speak to us this morning. God, that it would mold us and shape us into the likeness of Jesus. So God, would you give us open ears to hear from you, soft hearts, not just to hear. But God, we want to receive your word. And then, Father, would you give us those obedient hands and feet that we pray for every Sunday. God, not just to be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You'll notice as well, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Um, People are preparing food out there. So if you hear noises and giggles and other languages, that's what's going on. All right, they're getting the food ready out there. We've all heard that phrase before. I'm sure many of us have. When it rains, it pours. Even in just a few brief conversations I've had with people this morning, we, we don't just hear that phrase, when it rains, it pours. We've all experienced that phrase, when it rains, it pours. I didn't know this until a couple of weeks ago, but that phrase is actually from an 18th century proverb, and rather than saying, when it rains, it pours, it actually went like this, it never just rains, but it always pours. Anybody else experience that in your life more often than not? I mean, the the saying is so common to us, when trouble comes, it seems to come all at once. 
And I share that because if we're honest, I think that's how the last several weeks that we've been walking through the book of Romans has felt. It kind of seems like as Paul has written this letter, starting really with Romans 1 verse 18, all the way up to last week, Romans 3 verse 20, that Paul has just been kind of raining down bad news on us, just pouring on all of this bad news. We closed last week in Romans 3 verse 20, this idea that we were in the courtroom of God, that we were all standing trial before God, and with one final blow, one final swoop against humanity, Paul reminded us again, as he had done for several verses, that we're all guilty of sin before God, and then he gives us this great news. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, Paul just kind of ends on this low note where he says, whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, we all have offended and rejected the holy God of the universe, and in our own merit, there's nothing that we can do about it. Continuing to bring these charges against humanity. And then he he used this unique phrase last week, I think it was in Romans 3, verse 19, where we all kind of stand in silence before God when the sin charges are brought against us. That we are so guilty that there's not even a defense that we could bring before ourselves, and we're just left speechless standing there before God. We used that phrase last week that we're under the tyrant of sin, that when it rains, it pours. So it begs the question, and this is where we're left, this tension that we were left in in verse 20 last week. If there's nothing that we can do about our sin problem, then what's the solution? If we're separated from a holy God in our own merit, there's nothing we can do about it. The question that Paul leaves us with, it's kind of this cliffhanger that we're left asking, then how do I get right with God again? And the answer is this. If you're a note taker, I'd write this simple phrase down. We need God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We need God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We need God to intervene into our stories, to right our wrongs, and provide a way to close the gap from our separation from Him. And thankfully, in verse 21, we are met with the gospel message. Now, here's the thing about when we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel every week at Living Hope, but um, sometimes when we approach messages in the entirety that are the gospel, we're, we, we can sometimes think this to ourselves, I know this already. Let me remind us of a a couple simple truths. First off, um, you never outgrow the gospel. If we ever get to the point in our walk with Jesus where we think of the gospel, I know this, I get this, I'm an expert in this, remind your heart immediately that you need more of the gospel because you don't understand the gospel. We need to understand that we are sinners saved by grace, and every day, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, I need to remind myself of the gospel. Second thing, I heard a pastor one time, somebody in his church came up to him, And they said, Pastor, it seems like every week you're just preaching the gospel, you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching the gospel. When are you going to preach something new? And the pastor said something similar to this. He said, I'll preach something new when we get this one right. (laughs) We need the gospel every day as lost sinners separated from Jesus Christ. And even if you are a believer in Jesus today, we need to continue to be reminded of the gospel. So we transition now in Romans 3, verse 21, to the solution to mankind's sin problem. We're met, finally, as the title of today's message is, with some good news. So what's the plan? Three points, rather quickly, as we walk through these verses together. How are we made right with God again? Point number one is the plan. Look at verse 21. God's Word says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. If you have a hard copy of the Scriptures, I want you to underline or circle those first two words, but now. 
We ended last week, bad news of sin, guilty in God's courtroom. But then this amazing transition occurs. But now. But now what? God's rescue plan for sinners has been revealed. Notice this too, that next part. He says, so but now, the the gospel is about to be revealed to us, not of our own effort, because what does Paul say there in verse 21? That it is a a part from the law. We've emphasized this, this over and over as Paul was writing to this Jewish audience there in Rome who believed that through their own effort that somehow they could get right with God. If I just do enough, if I follow enough, if I do all of these things, I can be made right with God again. And Paul says, you've continued to miss it. It is apart from the law that we are made right with God again. What's God's provision in verse 21? The provision for the sinner is found in his righteousness. Write this down again if you're a note taker. If you're not, I hope you got a good memory. Instead of us trying to get to God, this is what separates the gospel from every other world religion, religion separates Christianity from every other world religion. Instead of us trying to get to God, I love this, God comes to us. That's why Christianity is different. You guys remember that story I've told you about sharing the gospel with some Muslim friends next door at the Finding Hope Center. And I, I asked them, uh, like, just share with me, convert me to Islam. And they shared with me all of, listen, all of these things that they must do to somehow appease the God, Allah, of their religion. Friends, we can't appease God because even they admitted, I said, if you do all of those things, will you be made right with God and go to paradise? And what did they say? No. Why? Because there's something written in the human heart that we understand that there's nothing we can do in our own merit to make us right with God. We need God to do what we can't do for ourselves. So he reminds us here, he says the gospel has always been the plan. Verse 21 there again, foretold by the law and the prophets. You know that God didn't create humanity and all of a sudden Adam and Eve sinned, they disobeyed God, and God's up in heaven going, oh, dang it, what am I going to do? What's the plan now? I'll give them the law, and maybe they, if they follow this to a T, they can be right with me again. That's not how it worked. From Genesis 3.15 all the way through the book of Malachi, picking up in the Gospels and ending in Revelation and echoing through eternity, Jesus has always been the plan. The gospel of Jesus Christ has always been the plan. Sin separates, Jesus restores. Let me give you a couple verses that are important. Um, uh, Abraham, or Abram, before his name was changed by God, the father of the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says this. This is how Abram was made right with God. Abram believed the Lord, had faith, and he, and he credited it to him as righteousness. It wasn't what Abraham did. It wasn't works he had to perform. How was he made righteous? Faith in God. David, the, uh, the, the, the beloved king over Israel, the man after God's own heart. He says this, Paul says in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 6, He says, likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person whom God credits righteousness. This is so good, apart from works. And then what does Paul do? He quotes the very words of David from Psalm chapter 32. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven. That means whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Verse 8, and blesses the the person who the Lord will never charge with sin. Paul reminds us that even David believed that his righteousness was not found in what he did, but it was God's righteousness credited to David's account by faith. 
Let's step into the seminary classroom real, real fast. This is just Bible words for you. It's the word justification. That we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We're guilty of sin. We put our faith in Jesus, our lives in the hands of God, and then God justifies us by declaring us now right with Him. Your account can be cleared. It's amazing. But what's the gospel process? So we know the plan. The plan is the gospel. What's the process? Verse 22, Paul begins to explain the gospel to us. He says, the righteousness of God, the right standing with God is available to you and to, uh, to me by faith. Just it was by faith for Abram, just it was by faith for David, it's by faith for us. Let's ask a simple elementary question. What is faith? We throw that word around a lot in Christian circles. Faith, faith, faith. What is faith? Faith is simply who you choose to put your trust in. If you're apart from Jesus Christ, you're putting your faith in yourself. I'm trusting in myself to make me right with God. The God of the universe says, I've got a better offer for you. What if you put your faith in me to make you right with me? What if I do all of it and you just place your faith in me? And here's what the gospel says. The gospel says I'm a sinner, as Paul reminded us, who's separated from, from God. How can I be made right again? I put my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds us here in Romans 3 that when we do that, that God's righteousness is then credited to my account. I'm declared right with God again. You don't have to deal with your own sin problem because God will do it on your behalf. And I love this. Verse 22, look there again in the Bible. It is available to all who believe. Who can God save? Anybody. What about so-and-so? Them too. But they did this. God's grace is bigger. God can save anybody. Romans 3.10, all are sinners and we have the opportunity to be made right with God. We saw that in Romans 1 verse 3. There's no distinctions in humans. We're all sinners. That means I don't care if you're Jewish, if you're Gentile, if you're American, if you're Asian, if you're rich, if you're poor. doesn't matter your upbringing, your vocation. doesn't matter your past or your future. It doesn't matter. Why? Because the gospel saves anybody. We're reminded in that very next verse, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who's all? All of them. My pastor growing up said, he, so he used to get in these like theological discussions where people would argue, who is the all in Romans verse 23? Somebody asked him one time, they said, Pastor John, um, what does the word all mean in the scriptures? I love this definition. He said, all means all, and that's all that all means. Isn't that good? It's everybody. We can't stand in our own merit before God. We're dead in our sin, verse 23. But we're reminded, the greatest words in scripture, in steps Jesus. Verse 24, they're justified freely. Aren't you grateful salvation doesn't cost you anything? Freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Declared right by who? Jesus. Why? Because of what he did on the cross. And it's free. It costs you nothing. You just have to put your faith off of yourself and onto Jesus. I was thinking about this this week, thinking about this idea of a, a free gift. If you were to go today um, and buy me a gift, I encourage this. I'm a size $50 gift card if you wanted, okay? So you're going to go today and you're going to buy me. Let's say that you go, you go buy me a watch. Reminds me of a real fancy watch because you love me a lot. Encourage this. So just feel free to do this if you want to practice. If you want to practice Romans chapter 3, you can go do this, okay? So you're going to go and you're going to buy me a watch. Let's say that you go to the store and it's a, it's a, it's a $500 watch. So it costs you something. You wrap it up. You put a nice bow on it, you put a tag on it, it says for Aaron from you. And you do all of that because it costs you something. You have to sacrifice of your income that you worked hard for. 
in order to bless me. And you bring that gift to me next Sunday, and you, you present this gift to me, this package with this costly watch in it. What does it cost me to now take that? Nothing. I simply have to believe and act on the reality that you're giving that to me as mine and that it's no longer yours, but you took the resources that were at your disposal and you used them to bless me instead. That's the picture of the gospel. That's salvation here. It's a free gift presented to you and I that we can be made right with God and not have to pay for our own sin debt for all of eternity. And it costs us nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. I mean, that's what we got to remember, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, God voluntarily stepping out of heaven for my sake and your sake, so that we may be made what? Become the righteousness of God. Jesus, it costs Him everything, but it can be applied to my account. Let's step back into the seminary classroom if you like big Bible words. This is, you ready for this? This is going to blow your mind. This is what's known as the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Aaron, should we know that? Probably. I'd write that down. That's some good theology to know there. It means that as Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, the only 200% being to ever walk the face of the earth, hung there on that cross, that God took my sin debt and your sin debt, according to Romans 5, verse 21, and placed it upon Jesus Christ. That Jesus, Romans 5, 8, willingly died for us and absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. And that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be set free from the tyrant that is sin. But what did it cost him? Romans 3.25, God presented him, that's Jesus, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. It cost Jesus his life. I would, I would circle or underline in your Bible, whatever it looks like for you, that phrase mercy seat. Your, your Bible might say the propitiation there. It's a big Bible word, mercy seat. What does that mean? It simply means this, that Jesus was our substitute. That where we deserve to be, he went instead. I shared with our kids workers this morning before we did the Lord's Supper, and I'll share this with you as well. We need to understand based on this portion of Scripture, and this is, this is, this is not fun preaching. Um, Christianity is a very bloody religion. It's a very bloody religion. We, we, need, we need to talk often culturally in the church about the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Why is that? It's because the Bible is clear. God sets the standard that blood must be shed in order for sin to be forgiven. Think about the, uh, uh, um, Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. They sinned against the holy God, disobedience, not doing what God said. They were not only banished from the garden, but before they were banished, what did God do? He clothed them with the skins of animals meaning something had to die and shed its blood in order for sin to be covered. Christianity is a very bloody religion. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 21 and 22 says this, that in the same way he sprinkled the tabernacle and all of the articles of worship with what? Blood. According to the law, this is God's standard, everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Blood must be shed in order for forgiveness to be had. Leviticus 16 verse 15 talking about this idea of the mercy seat that we read there in Romans 3 says that when the priest slaughters the male goat for the people's sin offering sin always has to be dealt with God doesn't just say eh, no big deal move on just going to pretend I didn't see that 
God is a holy and just God. Sin must be dealt with. What's he do? He brings that, that goat's blood inside the curtain to the mercy seat. And he would do the same with its blood as he did with the, blo- the bull's blood, to sprinkle it against the mercy seat and in the front of it. Throughout the Old Testament, God's standard has always been the same. Animals' blood would be shed on the mercy seat. That was the place where God dwelled among his people. This, this inner portion of the tabernacle, inner portion of the temple, known as the holy of holies. And when the priest would go in there and shed the blood of this animal right across that mercy seat, it was a covering for the sin of the people. But it was foreshadowing what Jesus would ultimately do on the cross. When Jesus hung on that cross, Jesus' blood was shed. Why? Because we needed it for the forgiveness of our sin. That's why Paul says in verse 25 that God passed over the sins previously committed. Jesus' blood being shed has always been the plan. It never changed. But how do we think about that? I like to think about it like, a, think about this podium here is the cross. This is where the blood of Jesus has been shed. Everybody that existed before Jesus, before the earthly walk of Jesus in human form, on this side of the cross, Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, what did they do? This is God pre- passing over sins in his restraint. They looked forward to the cross of Christ that was coming. In faith, they looked forward to a Messiah that God would send to permanently forgive the sins of mankind. And as they would sacrifice these animals, it was meant to be the reminder for them that our Messiah will someday come, that our, our sins will someday permanently be forgiven. And this reminder every year after year is for us to remember that it's going to cost God something to remedy the sin problem. Jesus has always been the plan. We live on this side of the cross. What do we do? We look back in faith to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. They looked forward in faith. We look back in faith. And Jesus has always been the plan of God. The one who sins deserves to die, but Jesus dies in our place. He was our substitute, the mercy seat, the propitiation of sin, uh, uh, completely absorbing the wrath of God and crediting that to my account and your account when we place our faith in Jesus. It's a divine mystery. But what's the purpose? And we'll close with this, verse 26. Paul says that God presented him, that's Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Why did God do all of that? Because he's showing off his character. Our God is showing off his mercy. He's showing off who he is that we can be made right again with him because of what he does, not because of what we do. And where does that lead us? I, I, I don't mean to, uh, to make this like too goofy, but I remember in the first Toy Story. You guys remember that? Where Woody and Buzz ended up at that arcade, and they went and they rescued those little green aliens. I don't remember exactly what they said, but it was something like this. You saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. Remember that? They saved him from the claw. And for the rest of the movie, it's like these little green aliens just show up. We are eternally grateful. We are eternally grateful. That's the Christian faith for us. Lord, you saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. I don't have a choice if I've received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ by faith, but to be grateful and honor and glorify him forever. That's why I do what I do. And so we're going to transition now to a time of taking the Lord's Supper. 
where we just pause and just reflect for a moment now that we've been met with the gospel after literally like eight weeks of nothing but we're sinners, we're sinners, we're sinners. But we're going to remind ourselves of, of the simple truth that if it wasn't for the gospel, we would be lost. 